As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. Discover more about Trader Joe's by listening to their podcast, Inside Trader Joe's, available wherever you get your podcasts. Stu, you know what is a must now? If you like tortellini... Go to Trader Joe's. It is the best I have had. It is fresh. It is tasty. Wow. Kids love it. It's one of those items where it's like, hey, where do we get this? Oh, yeah, we got it from Trader Joe's. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I'm Bruce Feldman, joined, as always, by my colleague, Stuart Mandel. Stu, we have a very interesting topic and guest today. It is our colleague, David Ubbin, who had a pretty remarkable inside look at the NIL world, especially as it's going to one power program in the SEC, Tennessee. We're going to get into that in much detail for a conversation, I think. That will be very enlightening for a lot of folks. Tens but, of millions of dollars being spent on recruits legally. Yes. Now we're also going to talk about tens of millions of dollars spent on coaches legally. Um, in so, some news, I think we should start with this. Uh, as we're taping this, just probably an hour and a half ago, Baylor announced that it had finalized a deal to extend Ava Randa, who just finished a, ter- a remarkable turnaround in his second year with the Bears, they won the Big 12. They finished number five in the country. They've extended them through 2029. Uh, I think you and I and everybody on this, you know, on this podcast has has a lot of respect for Dave Aranda in how he's he's a great guest, as people remember from our show. Um, I can't imagine if I had told you a year ago at this time, Baylor's going to extend Dave Aranda another to 2029. What would you have thought? Yeah, well, I after his first season, I thought, oof, you know, you never know which coordinators are going to make head coaches and which ones aren't. And certainly his first season did not inspire confidence. Um, but to his credit, he made some bold changes with his offensive staff and led him to the Big 12 title. So, um, you know, and there was obviously talk during the season as that was happening about him possibly getting hired away. So, uh, smart of Baylor to try to lock him down. But I thought you were going to say, if I had told you prior to last season that 
Cincinnati would make the playoff, which we didn't even know was possible. And Luke Fickle would still be there and is now making legit. I mean, $5 million a year, his new contract, that's legit, you know, upper tier power five money. Well, I think what's, what's the tie in here is these are both big 12 schools. Now a year ago, a year ago, obviously Baylor was, but Cincinnati wasn't. Um, and also I think it's, it's significant is with Texas and OU on the way out, Baylor has terrific facilities. It is in a very hot, rec- hotbed recruiting area. Um, I think both are positioned to, to, to be, they're not, they're, these should not have been one-offs um, at, as having top five seasons for either, especially with fickle staying. We know that with Ryan day staying at Ohio state, uh, we know that the Notre Dame job went to Marcus Freeman, who is just he's basically just taking over there. And James Franklin at Penn State did a, an extensive long term deal from everything I had heard from uh, folks inside the uh, college football coaching world. Those were the th- only three jobs that might tempt Luke Fickle in college football. And now that his program has gone to the Big 12 and he's got momentum. I think this is a huge win for him and for Cincinnati. So I, w- I would ask you, though, this. So let's let's play this out as a Big 12. I, obviously, Cincinnati has a good recruiting base. It's in Ohio. I mean, if you're if you don't want to be in the Big Ten, um, I think it's a it's a much more attractive job a much more attractive situation than it was a few years ago, because Luke Fickle has shown he can develop players. There's going to be a bunch of his guys going off to the NFL this year. So if I told you within the let's say to 2029 which team has a better chance of winning a national title which would you say are you talking about baylor and cincinnati i am neither of those teams is going to win a national title bruce i'm sorry to say why is Um, baylor not going to win a national title because i don't think they'll be able to recruit at the level that alabama georgia and ohio state do because they don't i mean they're in they're near they're actually in a better recruiting base than probably almost any of those places. I mean, in terms of local talent. Yeah. I, and I, I think that they can, rec- you know, so they can dismissive sign- by the way, so dismissive here. Well, and this is, you know, remember we used to have this discussion about Wisconsin. I, I I'm not, it's, wait, I think wait, 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 I mean, I let's Wisconsin's recruiting footprint and Baylor's is very different though. Um. It's funny you're you're doing going there when uh, we're about to have David Oven on to talk about the 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 new recruiting era. I mean, I would say uh, are Baylor alums going to be able to raise twenty twenty five million a year to to buy recruits because I think that's I how you're going to have to win a national title now. Is Drayton McLean? Is Drayton McLean doesn't have any money anymore? Yeah, I, I just think that so dismissive. I can't get over this. I'm not saying like I would I would love to see Baylor win a national title. I'd love to see somebody not in the you know current upper blue blood tier win a national title. I just don't think it's realistic. You can go to the playoff like Cincinnati did this year. Uh, certainly, if they expand the playoff, a lot of those kind of teams are going to go. But to actually win the whole thing, you know, you have to stack top three class after top three class after top three class like Georgia and Alabama do, and and Ohio State and a couple others. Um, you, this isn't the NFL Bruce, where you can get a Cinderella story, make it to the Super Bowl, and come within about a minute and a half of actually winning it. But you, you know, Clemson didn't stack top three after top three after top three when it won a national title, by the way. Yeah, it was more like top 10, top 12, something like that. 
Um, I think the, the, they... the, the one thing I would say on this, and you're probably right, but when you, I don't know if you, if you said zero chance or something along the lines of that, but like, I think if you had asked me this now, like flip it a year from now, if you said what, what I would have said Baylor had a zero, like I would have felt the way you did a year, you know, a year ago, if somebody said, yeah, what do you think Baylor wins the big 12 and as a top five season, I wouldn't have thought that was possible at this time last year. And he did it. They did it. And Baylor has, by the way, to Baylor's credit has now shown that they can do this at a high level with multiple coaches. Three different coaches have taken Baylor to a new year six bowl uh, in the last decade. So that's, it's a strong program. Give me a little credit here. Can we give, can we give, can we give Baylor fans a little bit of hope? I think Baylor will be here's here's what I can say. Just won't do They're going to expand the playoff and the Big 12 will have an automatic berth whether it's officially in writing or unofficially. And in this new conference where there's no Oklahoma, who's to say Baylor won't fill that role? It's going to be wide say, open. You're, apparently you're to say it because you're just No, I'm saying they could be a team that goes to the playoff regularly. I just don't think they're going to and it's we're talking about a 12 team playoff here beat three blue bloods in a row to win the national championship. I did not expect this conversation to go in this direction, by the way. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But uh, I was just surprised. Like, I wouldn't like, would I give it more than a 5% chance? Probably not. What I would, I felt like you were talking. It was a zero chance. So I'll say 2%. Let's get you up to four. <laughs> okay. Uh, one other thing in the news, and, and we talked about this a lot in our uh, last episode, just to follow it up. Brian Harson is coming back as the Auburn head coach. Um, so, you know, Andy and I wrote a story about this and then Andy wrote another story just about like the circumstances of how seemingly untenable this is that he would be able to go, have success going forward, especially considering he had not been recruiting well before this. Um and now I'm trying to take somebody who was like adamant that, that Baylor had no chance. So, I mean, what chance do you give Brian Harson of, and again, I don't know what this, what success is. We're talking about Auburn, like success. Would you define as you got to get to the playoff? Is that what would make it a successful run? Yeah. I mean, Auburn has very high expectations because they've done it before. They, they've won a national title and played in another one not that long ago. And do I think Brian Harson's going to do that at Auburn? No, I do not. And Andy, you know, hit the nail on the head. If he's signing, barely signing a top 20 class, that's not going to happen. Now, could they, I think if all this stuff hadn't come up and he'd gotten, you know, the benefit of the doubt to spend a few years building the program, they could, they could have, you know, had some success, had some good seasons, but now, I mean, basically Auburn's own boosters undermined their program because, it seems like what happened was they went looking for a smoking gun to get out of paying an $18 million buyout. And there just wasn't one. It was just a bunch of grumbling. Um, and now how do you, you kind of kneecapped him? Like, how do you come back from that? How do you, you know, prove the doubters wrong, if you will? Um, Cause you know, they're going to be, <laughs> the other recruiters are going to be saying, look, they tried to fire that coach. Why would you go play for him? He's not going to be there very long. And they're also probably going to say, look, guys don't even want to work for him because of the way he runs the program. We've seen a bunch of coaches leave even after he left. Now, 
Burt Watts, I, I think was wanted to go to the NFL. I don't know if it had anything to do with, with, you know, his relationship with Brian Harson, but I think there's that piece. Now, before we get to David Ubbin and we're going to go really deep into uh, boosters and NIL, this thought has crossed my mind as well, which is if, as we, you know, you said, there's a lot of people and money people who are not happy with Brian Harson. What is there much incentive for them to go, hey, we're not going to pony up to try to play this recruiting game that other schools clearly are playing to get top recruits? Because if we do, you know, we may be saving his, you know, prolonging the inevitable. So maybe we're just going to we're just going to sit on our wallets for a little bit and let this thing kind of fizzle out and then we'll step up with the next head coach. Somehow we talked to. Yeah, we talked to David for 40 minutes and I meant to bring this up and we never did about the notion that if these third-party collectives have this much sway in recruiting, then they could absolutely, if they want the coach fired, just say, we're not going to give any money this year. So you're not going to be able to recruit. So you have to fire the coach. But right now, people might not even know what we're talking about. So why do you say we get to our guest? Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, Stu, back to the podcast in a second. But now a word from our sponsor, LinkedIn Talent Solutions. When you are hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just a jobs board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within the first 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. LinkedIn knows that small businesses are wearing so many hats and might not have the time or resources to hire. LinkedIn is constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process even easier and quicker. 2.5 million small businesses use LinkedIn for hiring. So, Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash audible. That's linkedin.com slash audible to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. We're pleased to be joined now by David Ubbin, National College Football Writer for The Athletic. And he has a very interesting story that went up on The Athletic Tuesday. The headline is, Cars, Apartments, and Six-Figure Packages Inside the New Money-Fueled Frontier of the college football arms race. You can read that story. If you are not a subscriber yet to the athletic, talk about, talk about a deal. The athletic.com slash the audible gets you $1 a month for six months subscription to the athletic. That's normally 
six bucks a month. All right, David, this story, as, as you and I, you know, were talking about what you were learning in the days leading up to it, there were at least three or four things you told me that I was like, that can't be legal. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me? But these guys talked to you openly and on the record about it. We're talking about uh, Spire Group, which is the NIL collective supporting, I'm sorry, Spire Sports, the NIL collective that supports the Tennessee Vols. Let's start with a little bit of a 101. What is an NIL collective? So the long and short of it is uh, people pool their money together and then the collectives have business relationships and they can connect with deals, whatever that looks like. So in Spire's case, that usually looks like um, NIL events um, where you sort of, you know, players will show up and, uh, you know, shake hands and, you know, talk to donors and all that stuff. Um, but the key, I think, that is sort of separating the new era and the old era for collectives, because collectives are basically sort of fundraising arms of schools, but they're totally detached from the schools. But instead of the money going straight to athletic departments, it is going mostly to players. Uh, Spire Sports specifically has a 90-10 split, so 90% of the money goes to players. Um, but the interesting thing as well is that the donation platforms are all over the map. They are very much involved, uh, as are people that are advanced in the NAL space with major donors, people that are going to be giving, you know, maybe seven-figure sums at some point. Um, and then all the way down to the fan who maybe goes to a couple games a year or doesn't go to any games a year, but is a, 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 you know, devoted fan. Um, we've seen at other collectives, you can give, you know, five, 10 bucks a month. I think the lowest package that Spire offers is uh, 1951 a month, as well as you can do one-time donations, all those things. Um, but there's an ownership level uh, of fans that I think is um, a little bit more, uh, I would dare to say intimate Stu that, you know, if you're paying for facilities or stadium upgrades, that's one thing, but, you know, I was talking to those guys and they said, you know, but most fans don't care about the bathroom renovation on the East side or, you know, or how new are the chair backs. They don't want to be watching on TV and watch, you know, uh, a cornerback get burnt in a ball game or a quarterback throw an interception. And this is uh, where college football already is right now. Uh, it's not heading there, Stu. It's there. This was an acute influence on the 2022 recruiting class around the country, and it's only going to be escalated in 2023 as you have a full class of people who can really exercise their NIL and understand the um, uh, the landscape a little bit better. Whereas in 22, if you committed early um, and you weren't really a hot commodity in October, November, where people are still fighting for your commitment, it was hard for you to kind of leverage yourself quite as well as, as you could have. And so 2023, it's going to be different. Um, but the collectives uh, are going to be fueling a lot of this and it's essentially fan pooled money that helps to fund NIL deals. David. So in the old way, and when I say old, I mean, like maybe like months ago, um, 2021, yeah, 2020. Yeah. <laughs> so you would have not you, but uh, schools would have uh, assistant coaches maybe go on the booster circuit in this time of year and they would hit different areas in their in, in their fan bases. And what they would end up doing um, would be getting the word out on who to those maybe alumni groups who they really cared about, who the which recruits they might be trying to target, wink, wink, who you could help us with. Um, when you have this, and we're talking about seven figures in this collective, in this case. And growing. 
and growing. Yes. And probably going to grow even more after your story. No question. Um, How much do you think there is, how much involvement is there for the coaching staffs to say, Hey, we really want this guy that were our priorities. How much hand in hand does this go on in the case of Josh Heupel's program in this collective group? Well, ultimately you have to be, uh, it's very hard to get in trouble in the NIL era for providing benefits. Um, but the two things that you can't have is schools can't be arranging deals and there has to be quid pro quo. Those are pretty low standards, right? One thing on the school, this, this has been a, like a internal uh, topic with me and one of my TV colleagues for mm-hmm. like probably six months because it, that, that wiggle room is going to vary state to state. And one of the states and one of the schools that I know of has told me dating back to the summer, they believe as how the NIL, NIL rules is written that they can facilitate and there are other schools that were like, no, you can't do it. And there's even schools in that, in this, in this particular state who are like, yeah, we're not, we're not doing that. But well, I think I it comes of, down to like yeah. the, the NCAA says you can't, are they going to enforce that? I think. And will it be held? And, and there and the state laws a, are sort of different. Mm-hmm. And the state laws are different. And there's going to be attorneys who go, yeah, you cannot, they're going to make the case that they're at odds and that they, and at least this one particular big school I know is like, they're perfectly fine with doing it. Yeah. Well, ultimately, you know, Tennessee's coaching staff is not going to roll into the Spire offices and sit down for an hour every month and say, here's who we want. Here's who we got. Here's who you need. But who Tennessee wants is not exactly a state secret. All you have to do is pay your five bucks a month or whatever to the recruiting site or even, you know, you don't really even have to do that. Just fall when they announce a top six or whatever. And that kid's a top 100 kid. Most of the time that kid's a priority, not all the time. But, you know, sometimes some of the recruiting sites can offer a little bit more context to that. But the information for who Tennessee or who any school really, really wants is, is pretty readily available. Um, and so, you know, sometimes that can as you get to know um, recruits and you get to know, uh, you know, what is important to them and what they need, the specific deals can look a little bit different. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's not hard to know what they're doing. But uh, there's definitely a wall between, you know, a coaching staff and a collective. Um, now, sometimes that doesn't mean that there's not peeking around that wall, but not to the point that comes anywhere close to broaching, I guess, plausible deniability at most places. Because, again, it's pretty hard. Like, for one, the enforcement in the NCAA is going to be nil. And for two, this, you know, what it takes to not do something illegal, it's pretty easy to not do anything illegal in the nil era because again like i said schools can't arrange deals and you can't you gotta have quid pro quo and in this case the deliverable in the nil case is most of the time social media posts nil events you know basically appearance fees and autograph memorabilia that they can also sell off so yeah all right so like you said there aren't many rules there's maybe like two or three rules at this point uh, from the nca but one of them is no recruiting inducements Like, you know, there are very few, but one of them is no recruiting inducements. And what you're describing, what you described in this story, what these guys kind of openly talked about, sure as heck sounds like recruiting inducements there. What floored me is when you told me that they actually, and we're talking about not anybody affiliated with the school, just two big Tennessee fans who run this agency are themselves meeting with recruits and pitching them. Mm -hmm. All right. 
How do they get around that? Because that sure as heck seems like they are flat out buying recruits. Um, because basically, you you have to be careful what you say, and that you're not saying this only happens if you come to Tennessee, or you know we're going to give you this if you come to Tennessee. It's basically talking to guys about hey this is what your value would be if you came to Tennessee. And there's a difference there um, because, you know, it's, it's, again, a lot of it is plausible deniability. Uh, a lot of it is the sort of uh, high bar for doing something illegal in the NIL era. Because again, if you have quid pro quo, proving anything else or is, is, is pretty difficult. Um, and again, the NCAA has very little interest in enforcing any of this anyway. So unless you're going buck wild and being incredibly reckless, it, nobody's going to be getting in trouble for this stuff. And, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, pay for play and spirit, okay, maybe, but the spirit is not really anything and, and market value is the real thing. And that's, they're sort of proving their market value at this point. If you're a recruit, because you're worth what somebody will pay you for. And that's where it is. Okay, so let's play this out with a, hy- a hypothetical. Mm-hmm. Let's just say there's a, a running back in California, a four-star running back in California. He's got Tennessee and four other made, you know, schools as his finalists. And he tells these guys at Spire, um, all right, well, if I'm going to come to Tennessee, I want a car, an apartment, and $100,000. Mm-hmm. He signs with Tennessee, and those things are magically waiting for him. Mm-hmm. Ha- connect A to B. How do you get, how do they pull that off without breaking the rules? Um, Because you can say, Hey, there's guys on this team right now that have an apartment that we help them get. And they come to NIL events. They signed autographs. There's guys on this team that have a car. That's why one of their big priorities when they started this was taking care of guys on the team. Because when guys on the team have the same things and they can say, Hey, look at, uh, you know, this receiver or this quarterback and look what he's got. Um, you know, there's no reason why when you're here that those things can't happen as well. And you have to be pretty careful about your wording um, and and how you say things. But clearly, you have some baseline for what the market value is for a a big time prospect that can have a big impact uh, on a program and on a recruiting class. And um, again, at some level, when you get to the heart and the spirit of the thing, you do have to embrace the concept of plausible deniability. But again, it goes back to the thin rule book. If you're getting money and you are providing a deliverable, the rest of it is sort of, that's just what it is. This is the NIL era. And ultimately people are paying for, yes, they obviously want guys to come to the school, but they also want to get an opportunity to be around those guys, go to events, see those guys, meet those guys and feel like they had a part in those guys winning football games for their program. And that is not something that has been made available to the fans. That was something I didn't really get to get to get into the story very much, but that aspect of it, that's a big reason why some of the fan uh, enthusiasm is there is yes, they want to win. Yes. They want to make programs an attractive place, but in the case of the, the Spires wrote about, and I think a lot of collectives are doing similar, um, you know, uh, in the future, to get FaceTime, being able to feel like you're a part of that is real value to uh, to fans of all um, of, of all sort of uh, economic situations, if you will. David, I want to take Stu's example that he threw out a couple minutes ago and, and make it a little further down the line. 
So let's say you have, no, let's make him a five-star running back from someplace else. And Tennessee's collective is going to make him an offer. At that point, as you said earlier, people know who else is in the game or is in the battle. Let's say it's Tennessee, Auburn, Alabama, Georgia, and uh, Texas. Mm-hmm. Tex- the collective for Tennessee makes its offer. It's, it's in some kind of writing the player or his family shows it to the other schools and go, okay, this is what they're going to do. Here's where the bidding war goes. Mm-hmm. Remember the school you, you're writing about Tennessee, as you well know, has, has not been in the top 10 in the, at the end of the year in over 20 years. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is a level of desperation there. I mean, it's not that far ago that a coaching staff at Tennessee, if I'm not mistaken, had a little bit of had some issues with the NCAA where the chancellor of the school was talking about level one violations publicly, right? Mm-hmm. So the question I have is, how does this bidding war, do you think it plays out? And how high up do you suspect the people you talk to would be willing to go to say, hey, we're not losing out on this five-star running back or this five-star recruit if we know Georgia and Alabama and Auburn are in the bidding war too? Well, how high it can go is sort of the question right now, right? I mean this is one you have Lane Kiffin talking about salary caps and those kind of things, but it goes back to kind of what the guys from Spire said is, is you got to embrace it and make it a priority. Otherwise you're, you're going to get left behind. I mean, I think the negotiation, I mean, I don't think there's a lot of written deals that are being passed around. I think it's more just like, Hey, this is something that is a real possibility at Tennessee. This is what your value would be at Tennessee um, based on. So like Inspire's case, you know, they have a sports marketing background. They worked in sports agency. They know local businesses. They know the local area. They can say, they talk a lot about market value. If you're in Tennessee and you're a, a quarterback that's, you know, doing this or a running back that's doing this or a lineman or, or a defensive back or whatever, you know, your value, you obviously have a lot of value and it looks like this, you know, it is, maybe it's an apartment, maybe it is a car. Um, you know, if you want something else or whatever, they say they've done, you know, free food at restaurants, tires, other things. If you want those things, well, those can be packaged into your package and, and whatever that looks like between benefits and cash. And it, it sort of depends. Um, but again, all of those things go in and then your deliverable is, you know, they might do for freshmen, like a, they were talking about doing like a meet the balls event um, where the, all your early enrollees or all your freshmen can show up. And this is again, a, a paradigm shift in the sport because for a long time you have a, a hyped freshman that show up on campus. You might not hear his voice or see his face in public for two years at some places. I mean, this is the sport. Uh, is changing. Uh, and I think for fans, you know, getting a chance to meet some of these guys is, is a real thing. And um, so, yeah, I, I think the negotiation part of it, uh, I'm guessing is probably a little more verbal. We didn't talk a ton about that. Um, and sort of the plausible deniability of it is, is obviously, um, you know, pretty important when you're talking about differentiating between NIL and pay for play, because I am, I get when people criticize and they say, well, NIL has become pay for play. Okay. Maybe, but also not really. And the NCAA one, it's hard to prove that. And two, they don't have an interest in enforcing that. Um, and also again, zooming out 30,000 feet, we're still talking about victimless crimes here. We're re- talking about redirecting money from athletic departments to put into you know, a recording studio or a new, you know, stadium versus people that are barely getting by in a lot of cases and could really use, you know, five or six digit 
deals that can help them and, and enhance their life. I want to follow up on that point because I, I, that's one thing I wanted to get both of your thoughts on this. So we've all been covering college football a long time. We are used mm-hmm. to the rules, not the laws, the rules. And it's almost like once you get past, like I've never been one, like whenever the conversation has gone, I remember having this one back when I was at ESPN with Myron Roll when he was at FSU about pay for play and who gets paid. And my only question was, how would it work? Because I remember saying to Myron, like, do you do the track athletes get paid? And he was like, yeah, that's probably our best program. How do you not pay them? Mm-hmm. And it's so it's like comes down to like, how does it work within universities where you have so many sports? How does it work within football where it's if you're having some level playing field or even if you're not like how just the logistics of it. But I never had an issue with, um, you know, it, again, it's not my money. So I don't you know, like who gets it? And we we, we all know how many hours college football uh, players put into their craft and how demanding it is physically and mentally. And for all sorts of reasons, I am not one who's like, Ooh, they shouldn't get paid or anything like that. What I'm curious for you guys is hearing this. And I kind of go back to like, we've all seen the old SMU 30 for 30 and Eric Dickerson, you know, like his, his, his story has been kind of in the news, you know, recently as well, but where you have, elite recruits who become you know involved in this bidding war where it's escalated like do we just think you know what this is more above board there's not a sham of the amateurism aspect of it and so just let it ride i mean i'm curious david well i think you have to yeah i mean i think you have to look at it from again a big picture standpoint i think uh people have opened their eyes far more decade to you know you talk about the shame of amateurism the shame of the NCAA rule book is really the question here and I think you have to get out of sort of the college football college sports realm and look at it societal standpoint and you're going to have a hard time I think convincing me and a growing percentage of the population that money uh, going either in addition to or away from and I'm using the biggest air quotes in human history nonprofits into the pockets of actual people. And again, it's taxable, it's legal, all these things is, is a societal bad. I think overall you have a sport that's becoming more fair and equitable to the people that have the the biggest risk of participating. And in general, you have people who are finally able to uh, capitalize on a time in their life when they are the most valuable. So, um, that's kind of how I see it is you have to get out of looking at it through the NCAA prism and look at it through the global prism. Is this a societal good? And I would have to say a clear, straightforward yes. People don't have to like it. They can say, well, I like the way it was in the old way, whatever. But you cannot watch or keep an eye on college sports the way that it was, you know, five years ago or even a year ago before NIL, uh, even before the, even after the portal, before NIL um, rolled in and not say that it's an exploitative enterprise because it is. And if you don't think so, you're not paying attention. So it's less exploitative today. And that, that is a win for society in my book. And that's kind of how I look at it. The way I look at it is uh, the reason this is also shocking and jarring. I mean, first of all, it happened overnight. Like they legalized this on July 1st and here we are seven months later. And there's a group in Tennessee that's got, you know, talking about raising 20, 25 million a year in Texas, their collective announced 10 million a year. Right. So 
you know, you're, you're talking about cars and it's all jarring because it changed like that. Yeah. But, but to your point, David, the notion that it, that there's something illicit about the, the athletes making money is, is entirely because that's just the way it always was. That's, and that it's, I think people that believe that it's wrong or that this isn't how it should be. Again, you know, Stu, you mentioned this in your column. We were talking about it a little bit yesterday. If you built college sports up from mm-hmm. the ground and you thought about, okay, what, is, what would this look like? And you built it like it existed in 2010 or even 2015 or whatever, or today, 2010 is what would be wrong and evil. So hang on. So the coaches are going to make eight, $9 million. And we're going to have athletic departments that have budgets of 150 million plus that are uh, clearing a profit, but spending money so that they can remain a nonprofit and pretending like they lose money every year. And the players get interdisciplinary studies degrees and are strongly discouraged from getting engineering degrees or uh, going pre-law or biology because that's a lot of homework and uh, maybe their class times, you know, uh, uh, conflict with practice. And so they're getting scholarships and free gear. And then a lot of them don't go to the NFL. Like that is a enterprise that is not worth supporting. (laughs) It really is not. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I think at this point, I could be wrong. I don't think there's much of the public that is just kind of like, philosophically opposed to the players making any NIL money, you know, Travion. So Ohio state last week, there was a board of trustees meeting about NIL. I think it was mostly just like the athletic department updating them on how it's going. Um, And they brought some athletes to the meeting and Travion Henderson, their star freshman running back was one of them. And I'm quoting here. He said that NIL has completely changed my life forever. Growing up, I watched my mom struggle to take care of me and my two brothers all by herself. All I ever wanted growing up was to be able to give back to her with me now being able to make some real money. I'm now able to take care of myself and take care of my mother and family. Like you have to be pretty heartless to, to not think that's a good thing. I think the issue here is that it's, there's the recruiting and the fact that um, where people get uncomfortable is the notion that kids are going to pick their, which school they go to play football for based on who offers them the most money. Um, that's and a complete that, paradigm shift that is going to take not, a lot of getting used to. But I don't think that is that is not a new thing. Stu. Yeah, I'm it's with just Bruce that. Uh, oh, like, I agree. It, th- this I is just think, taking something that was under the table and bringing it above table. I do yeah. think you're wrong to some degree where you're like, I don't think people like. And again, I don't want to judge too much off Twitter because we know how skewed it can be from the reality. But there are a lot of people who are very vocal and I'm not sure, you know, there could be all sorts of reasons behind it 
other than it's like, this is how, you know, I think a lot of times people are so uncomfortable with, this is how it's always been. It's going to ruin everything, you know, like kind of, or there's a power dynamic that they're uncomfortable with. Um, Or there's an, you know, the, 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 to me, the silliest one is, well, you know, like I went to school and I pay, you know, like, it's, yeah, it's just a, there's so many different there's a there's layers. a resentment that, you know, I had I get that there's a resentment that I had to take out loans to go to college. And now these players who are getting a free education, that's not enough Then yeah. you know, now they want they want even more. I think the people, um, that, but I thought uh, you made it did a good job of, of explaining, David, why that's kind of that's not necessarily even a, an app. Yeah, comparison. I mean, on the, on the I mean, just on the baseline argument sense, the people that paid student loans also didn't help fuel a million dollar enterprise at their university. But I think there's a level of I wouldn't call it necessarily uh, uh, opposition as much as discomfort. And I think that will go away with time. But I also think, it, you know, it's a lot of the people who claim they weren't going to watch the NFL or people that I'm out on college sports. Listen. No matter what happens to college sports, I really do hold this fervent belief. And maybe that's more in the South than in the West Coast, but it's so cultural. Whatever happens in the offseason, uh, you know, any of the things that are controversial, I mean, goodness, satellite camps to throw back, whatever it is, whatever happens that people are mad about. When it's October and you're playing your rival, people are going to watch. People are going to pay attention. People are going to care. People are going to show up. They're going to buy tickets. I don't think anything will change that in places that care about college football. And people can yell and scream and say, I don't like this. I'm out. I'm never again. And then that fall Saturday is going to come along and your choice is going to be go rake leaves or go watch you go beat up on your rival. Guess what they're going to pick? <laughs> like th- that's what it is. And I think so when people complain about it or, you know, I'm out, I can't do this anymore. This is turning into professional sports. I kind of just roll my eyes and no, you're not. I'll see well, you I also think it's important <laughs> to distinguish between what we're talking about here today and NIL mm-hmm. where the schools themselves are not paying the, the, the athletes. That's coming also from external read the story. The money is coming from donors who yeah. may have previously fueled the school or from fans at lower levels it's or local businesses budgets. Yeah. Or businesses. Yeah. That to me, I've, I've, you know, I can remember being in college and wondering, you know, and I'm 46, so this is 20 something years ago. How can they sell the players jerseys if the players can't make any money off it? It was so and obvious. They're not back then. Andy, those, and, I mean, uh, uh, Stu, those number five USC jerseys. Just a just coincidence, right? I covered a, 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 a Michigan game. It was random. It was not Matt. Yeah. Lane. I don't know where you got that idea. I covered a Common Michigan game <laughs> when Denard Robinson was there and every store, every bookstore, every, you know, clothing store in the in, in ann arbor had his jersey like right in the window no, it and it was just jersey. i just felt so wrong <laughs> that he wasn't making any money off it well I now, mean, you want to talk about a, plausible deniability college sports been doing this a long time there the you, right you know the, the well, that's how the, the ed o'bannon lawsuit started with yes. the fact that the players likeness was in the video games and they weren't receiving any money now to me a, yeah go ahead years ago and it's not i mean i don't know it's probably seven years ago i happened to be in college station texas and I went to a sporting goods store and there was so much gear and stuff, hats, T-shirts devoted to number two. I don't remember what the player's name was, but there was an insane <laughs> amount of stuff. I can only imagine what he would have made at Texas A&M if it was like all bets are off. There wouldn't have been any need to go on any signing spree or anything like that. Um, because he was 
Like I just remember there was like like sections of a store was just number two gear. Yeah, I don't I don't you know, in the story, David, the, the Spire guy says he thinks the starting quarterback at Tennessee should easily make seven figures. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not. I think that there's a small number of players. You might be able to count them on one hand in the whole country who are big enough stars and stay at their school long enough to cash into that degree. But somebody like Johnny Manziel would have, you know, he could have made, I think, multi-million of dollars because he was that big a, a deal there. You know, yeah. I mean, most you gotta be great players player. never that's, reach that's that level. That's the reality of it because a lot of it is fueled by, by fan interest and fan desire. I think you got to be and a great people- player. And I think you also have to be unique because, okay, Bryce Young is Alabama's, you know, marquee name right now. Mm-hmm. He's going to play. He's going to be a starter for two years. Then he's going to go off the NFL. And, and the next great Alabama quarterback is going to come in. You know, do the, mm-hmm. do the fans necessarily get attached to him any more so than they did? Well, that means a, you're not going to get that five-star you know. quarterback anymore. You don't have a choice. because this No, is no, no. I'm not it. saying they're not going to pay for it. Yeah. I'm saying... You know, Manziel to me is in a whole other. Uh, yeah, I mean, your 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 stratosphere probably comes down. You know, like yeah. Tua when Tua rolls in there, Alabama had never seen anything really like that before. Yeah, he was a phenom. Yeah, and now like Bryce Young is doing a lot of the same things, and and yeah, maybe there's some novelty lost, and so your your top end might not be there. You're sort of like you said, going into the stratosphere. Johnny Football is sort of an interesting case because he had sort of the social media aspect of it where, you know, he had, you know, insane follower counts and was sort of a, a, uh, a force unto himself that I don't know that Bryce Young is. Bryce Young is a really good football player. I wouldn't describe him as a cultural icon. Plus, Johnny Meanwhile, was at a school where there's a, there's a thirst and a hunger for, yes. like, Alabama keeps winning. I'm not saying. Yeah, that's Bryce a big Young part of it as well. Like, Johnny the places Manziel that are trying to get back. made mm-hmm. Texas A&M football nationally relevant for the first time since – I don't know when. Well, you got college players, you got players, you got high school players pulling the money sign when they score a touchdown. Yeah. That's called transcending your team and your sport. And that's becoming a bigger thing. Bryce Young doesn't have a thing. Nobody outside of Alabama is doing the karate kid, which they refuse to explain. And I'm quite frankly a little bit tired of. Uh, but like <laughs> the karate kid has not transcended in a lot of ways. But the money sign, I mean, people still do that. Like, uh, maybe now in the NIL era, it would be a little bit more apt, but uh, goodness. I mean, he, Johnny could have co- copyrighted the money sign and sold shirts with himself doing it and sold, you know, 100,000 shirts. By the way, Joe Burrow, way. Joe Burrow is another one who falls in this category. Right? LSU had not had yeah. even but Joe came. La- but Joe came He was later. only there two years. And, and the first well, Johnny was only the quarterback for two years. That, but Johnny that's the shelf the life of these guys. First year. Yeah. And John by October, he was a force. Like yeah, Joe true. Burrow did not become the megastar till after he won the high. He would have had to cash that in all in one year, but you were mid, a span of mid, a few months. It was mid-year, year two of Joe Burrow before you people yeah, that's raising true. their eyebrows and being like, oh my gosh. Johnny, I mean, goodness, Johnny's Johnny first had a game, ramp. Yeah. played Florida. They lost that game, but people were like, oh my gosh, this kid is like electric. So, so what I was going to say earlier is, you know, the concept of guys making money off NIL doesn't, make me uncomfortable in the slightest i do think it's kind of ridiculous that the schools you know that the ncaa and and the schools have basically outsourced this like more or less yeah. you know that 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 these guys at spire or at you know gator collective or any are are the ones like brokering all this and not the actual schools themselves but and i but that's all that's different to me than last week uh you know the the first law you knew this was coming right 
lawsuit filed against USC and UCLA saying that the athletes should be, you know, classified as employees. And that's the next frontier that's going to, you know, play out in the courts over a span of years. Mm-hmm. You know, you talk about fans saying they're not going to watch anymore because the players are making money. I don't, I don't think that's true with NIL. I do think you would have a, a hard to ignore transformational shift if the athletes became paid I don't employees. buy that it changes anything on fall Saturdays. I just don't. I just don't buy it. It's too cultural. More so in the South and in the places that really care about football, Columbus, Happy Valley, all those places, you know, uh, Ann Arbor big college football hubs. I just don't, I just don't buy it. And what are they going to do? Are they going to go to all of a sudden now they're going to become NFL fans because they're (laughs) turned off by the money or they're going to just get really into Uh, picking. Well, I I think super into lawn. Yeah. You can't, uh, you can't over fandom is so strong. And so, especially if it's your alma mater, I'm mm-hmm. thinking more. I don't know if that would turn off more casual fans of college football who don't necessarily Why? have a rooting interest. I don't think it would. I don't even. Care? If you're a casual fan, you might not even know that. Oh no, yeah. Well, it's, you're gonna know it's happening the first time somebody does a contract holdout or. If you start getting into holdouts, maybe, maybe. Well, that's gonna happen. I mean, if they become employees, first of all, they can be fired. They can, uh, be they, yeah. they can hold out on a contract. They can. Uh, you know, anything that pro athletes do is going to come to college, but that's all, that's a whole other, uh, topic. But I don't think that's, if you have a holdout though, Stu, I don't think that the anger would be at the larger picture. It'd be at that guy. That guy sucks. I hate that guy. And then the probably, next time probably. he breaks his holdout and throws they, a touchdown. But, but, I mean, the, but the coaches, the irony of that is that the, the, the coaches will still leave on a, on a dime yeah. for, for the $10 million at the next school. True. But God forbid that player. Well, do you uh, have the do you have the blowback on the player who sits out a bowl game? You 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 did at first. I think that's kind of died down. Although there's no, there's still plenty of people who think that that yeah. the guy's a quitter, selfish. And, yeah, I, you not know, all you holdouts are created equal in the NFL. But even that, even the conversation around NFL or NBA holdouts has changed in the last fifteen years as people have stopped rooting for the owners and started. All I know is last summer when all these things happen at once with NIL becoming legal and the transfer portal taking off. You know. Twitter comment sections inundated with people who are like, that's it. I'm done with college football. <laughs> and then the season Saturday started and then the season started <laughs> and every week it was, this was CBS's most watched game yeah. since 2014. <laughs> yeah. This was ESPN's like most watched game before about the NFL rating. Yeah. It's like the NFL ratings were huge. Well, so, so, you know, I, I, I think, look, I live in the Bay area, the Raiders franchise like up and left. They said, thanks for all your devotion, Oakland people. <laughs> We're going to Vegas. Uh, you're not going to be able to attend our games anymore. And there's, they still root for them. There's still Raiders fans here. Your People's loyalty is so deep that not even that can 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 break. Literally it, so. spitting on your hometown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, you know, you know, we should have come up with the money for the stadium. I heard that the us. other day. <laughs> I swear to God, I had a conversation with somebody the other day at it's a grocery store. Fault. It was the yeah. day of the Super Bowl. You know, they're going to watch the we're Super Bowl. We're really the disloyal ones, if you think about it. <laughs> no, I swear to God, this this person at the grocery store, I said, oh, I'm a Bengals fan, so I'm excited for the Super Bowl. And and she was like, you know, yeah, well, I don't care as much as I'm a Raiders fan. I'm like, how can you still be a Raiders fan? And I swear to God, she's like, you should have built them a nicer stadium. <laughs> I've never had to swallow that pill, but I, I know some people who grew up in St. Louis. Uh, well, they're, they, that's different. And that, well, it around. is different, but like, I can't, wrapping my head around like, cause I've been a sports person my whole life. I've spent my whole, like the concept of your favorite team leaving. I don't even know mentally what 
like that is like that seems just like a wild existence to me uh but that's something college sports doesn't have to worry about (laughs) so let's wrap the nil discussion with this everybody knows this is happening now and you see whether it was you know nick saban on signing day lane kiffin um you know george kleofkoff pac-12 commissioner said we basically have legalized cheating now you know the common thing you hear is well we got to do something about this you know there's got to be some regulations we've got to We've got to rein this in. I'm of the opinion that there's no way to do that. This it's is off to the races. And because, and the key thing is that Supreme Court decision. Austin is everything. Every, that's the NCAA, all everyone can talk about in every I way. I mean, at one point they spent two years, they had a working group. They made a proposal to the board and there was this long document and they had all, they planned to have all of these rules about you can't pay a guy more than market value and this and that. And they ended up backing off of all of that. Because the Supreme Court ruled nine nothing against the NCA in an antitrust case and basically said your entire business model is unconstitutional. Yes. So now they're afraid to police anything. Yes. And precisely. so because of that, I don't I don't know that there's any uh, going back. Not going to be. And, you know, it is what it is. Again, I mean, we, we sort of underscore this in the piece. You know, I think he specifically says this and I think he's I, we would be 100 percent lockstep on this. Reasonable minds can disagree on is this good or bad for college sports? I think there's a good um, case either way on, on the, the money flow for the entire college sports issue. I'm glad that it's more fair and equitable, but you know, some of the, the haywireness good for the sport as a whole, uh, I'm not sure either way. I don't think it's good for it. the sport that the way that's playing out with the, yeah, like the it, schools it, it, should but be. The point is that there's reasonable yeah. disagreement there, but this is going to be how things are. So you can complain about it. You can talk about your discomfort, but if you're not writing checks, you're going to be collecting L's, and that's just what it is. Uh, they're going to start on the recruiting trail, and they're going to translate onto the field in two, three, four years. So that's sort of the underscore of the piece is this is what it looks like now, so either do it or prepare to start losing because that's what it's going to be. I want to bring up one other – just one last point on what you said, what you guys just – and it, it's something where – um, we cover the sport. We are, I, I don't know about you guys, but like I've always taken it as their college athletes. And I remember a specific conversation I had with fat 40 sitting next to me in a press box at a game. And there was a player who had played so badly in the first half of a big game. I remember thinking it crossed my mind. I was like, is this person point shaving? Cause it's so, it's such a bad <laughs> performance. And then I turned to 40 and I was like, Hey, by the way, what's the worst you've ever seen a college player play in a game and he referenced a Kentucky basketball player that was a really good player but had a terrible night one night mm-hmm. not to say that player was point shaving or anything like that but um and the the upshot of it was it was like we you weren't going to write about this person you know bleeping the bed in this game because they're still a college student and like you're not going to crap all over them the way people are crapping over Eli Apple after the Super Bowl. Exactly. Exactly. Well, now, we won't, but people will. Well, yeah. What I was going to get at now here is, and this is where I think it goes. Um, and I use this per- this person as like even some of our colleagues talk about him this way. Tate Martell was a five star recruit and he was a buzzy, big social media guy, went to Ohio State, transferred to Miami, ended up at UNLV, you know, did not really make much of a splash as a player at all, but was a very hyped, high, you know, high, high profile recruit. I think in this era now where, and I don't know if it's going to come out how much money certain players ended up getting to go somewhere, but 
we you know the term bust you kind of like cringe on it a little bit because it is not a flattering term like in most cases it's like a lot of these players did not ask to be five-star recruits they mm-hmm. certainly wanted it but now all of a sudden you're going to introduce another element where there's going to be a level of resentment and we can probably name a bunch of guys who did not live up to the hype at all you know every year and the question i think is going to be when you add you know, seven figures into their recruitment, maybe, you know, like substantial money like that beyond it, there is going to be, never mind just, okay, they could get cut, they could get fired. But all of a sudden it's like, I think you're going to see probably a downturn of that that is going to get pretty ugly as well because the expectations and the pressure on it is going to be even more so. And I don't know how much, I don't think we've kind of talked about that that side of it enough yet because yeah, I think that's right all about that. Yeah, that the you know it's the pro- professionalization of, of college sports, no question. Well, and I think uh, part of it is like the the life lesson that we all have to learn at some point, which is that some people suck. And I'm not <laughs> sure. It's, I'm not sure it's much more complicated than that. Like some people suck, and that's life, and uh, it sucks. But you, the better you learn that and deal with, the better you're off you're going to be. I think you mean else. some people suck in the words of the, on the social media blasting, not, not just like, Oh, this guy <laughs> really wasn't that good of a cornerback. So he sucks. Yeah. Or, no, or, like, yeah. <laughs> some people suck as in, if you're going to get mad at a kid because he's not good enough at the sport for the team you love, like he's trying guys like chill out. <laughs> well, again, the article coming full circle, the article, David's article is up on the athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash the audible if you haven't subscribed yet to get a dollar a month for six months. And uh, this has been a, an interesting discussion. I think it's a topic that um, has I mean, NIL didn't sneak up on people, but these NIL collectives, they snuck up on me. I mean, and the amount of money. I mean, yeah. I did not know the amount of money was this big for, you know, people that unless you're really locked in the recruiting world, um, you a lot of people have never heard of them. Yep. All right, David, thanks for coming on. Thank Thanks you, guys. Time, David. All right, Bruce. It was a long conversation with David, but I think hopefully for the listeners, very informative. We went so long, we're not going to be able to get to emails this week. We could use some new ones anyway, so please send them to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.